Pound the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. Take advantage of lightning fast score updates and live odds to ensure you never miss a beat when you've got skin in the game. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21 plus. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, or 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Score's NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and it's another wolf on list week here at Pound the Rock as he continues his uh, daddy duty tour, we'll call it. But I'm <laughs> thrilled to welcome our special guest this week. In my opinion, one of the funniest follows on NBA Twitter. You can find him by the handle at TrillBroDude. For the sake of of his stage name and his stage presence and uh, the kind of mysteriousness of all of it. We're not even going to reveal his real name to you. (laughs) So joining me right now, 76ers super fan, the newest member of the James Harden fan club uh, the last couple weeks. That's right. At Trill Bro Dude of You Know Ball. What's going on, Cash? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, glad that I get to remain anonymous on here. I'm a big fan of the pod. Sad that Wolfon can't be here, but uh, hopefully I do a good job filling in for him. Yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Yeah, if anyone listens to our pod regularly, you'll know that we actually gave uh, Trill a shout out a, f- a few weeks back, maybe a month back, and and Wolfon did mention at the time one of the funniest follows. And this was kind of during the time when um, you know Sixers fans were clamoring for Maury to do something as I was at the time as well, because, you know, we don't, we don't have to get into all of that again, but the whole thing about not wasting this kind of prime season of Joel Embiid, I was very adamant that, like, you can't get too big picture here and assume, like, well, you know, we, we've got Joel Embiid locked up. you got to extend his prime. You can't go all in for this year and then leave yourself barren later. And it's like, you know, there are a few big men in the history of basketball that have played as well as Joel Embiid is playing right now. There's no guarantee he'll play this well in two years, not because he's going to fizzle out, but because it's almost impossible to play this well. Yeah, absolutely. They got the job done. They got James Harden. Wolfon and I already t- like broke down the trade, but I'm happy you're here today because we can kind of talk and break down and react to James Harden's first two games of actual basketball with the Philadelphia 76ers, your Philadelphia 76ers. So first things first, I wanted to ask you, Given the uh, the hilarity that ensued on your Twitter account, I'd say in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline, given, like I said, how much like me, you were clamoring for Daryl Morey to get something done. And then the way it was teased that Harden could be the one. What was your reaction? Well, I actually was doing a live stream during the announcement of the trade. So I did I I do this thing on Twitter which is basically I've I've taken the trade transaction element of the NBA and I call it slot because it's just like it's almost like NBA version of celebrity gossip and yeah. like when when trades happen people go insane on the timeline and stuff. So I did something during the trade deadline streaming and my reaction I actually had a Nets fan on my buddy Reed Wallach from Twitter. And we were in the middle of it. We were just like reacting in live time. We thought that it was going to happen. And when it actually did happen, 
I was just absolutely elated. It was like months of months of me talking, having the same conversation. You know, I know we listen to your guys' podcast because you guys were doing the same thing. You were like, it's Groundhog's Day every day. Daryl Morey is just personally torturing all of us, holding the trade market hostage, holding Ben Simmons hostage. When is this going to end? And through all of it, I was, you know, through months, I was talking myself into De'Aaron Fox and CJ McCollum and these packages based around guys who were lesser players than someone that I really wanted. But I thought realistically the same thing. You can't waste Joel Embiid's prime. You need to get something back to try to salvage this season and then maybe give yourself flexibility in the future. So when it was actually James Harden who was like, if not number one, one A on my list, it was like, it was him and Damian Lillard. Like, I like Bradley Beal. I think he's a very good player, but I just think that Damian Lillard and and James Harden are in a class of their own as NBA players. And those two were the guys that I was like, if they can come away with the the one of these two guys, it will not only salvage the season, but put the Sixers into a status that they've haven't really been since the Jimmy Butler year, which is legitimate contenders and not these fake contenders built on, you know, a house of sand, essentially. So right now it's been absolutely amazing. The original reaction was we were losing our minds. And ever since it's just been incredibly fun to watch. I don't blame you for losing your minds. You don't even have to be a Sixers fan to lose your mind at the way James Harden is actually playing as a member of the Sixers so far. And I'm glad you mentioned that Jimmy Butler team, not because it gives me an opportunity to remind you that, uh, okay, they, please stop. <laughs> Trigger warning. Trigger yeah. warning. They lost to the Raptors <laughs> on a on a four bounce buzzer. But no, but but because you do make a good point, and it's like you know you've heard me joke about it all the time, like call teams fugazis, where it's like they're good, but they're not like come on, they're not winning a champion, not in the NBA, not in the most championship exclusive league. This is the first time since that season where like th- this team now actually has a chance to win a championship, just like that team did. Like if they get through the Raptors, they've got a chance, and and this year. Um, you know, there are other teams in the East, but I think Wolfon and I have actually been texting about it uh, off air, obviously, that like we both think now the Sixers are the team to beat in the East. I said at the day of the deadline where I was like, you know, if I if I see with my own eyes that James Harden is back to looking like James Harden, I already had my theory, as I know you know, because you shared it on Twitter, a clip from that podcast. I won't call it a conspiracy theory, but it my theory as to why I believe James Harden was not really hurt and uh, I'm more confident in that now than I was. Yeah, I think you were justified. <laughs> because, I, if, you know, for anyone that didn't listen to that trade deadline uh, episode, James Harden from Christmas Day through January 25th was like a 16-game sample. After he had started the season slow and it looked like he lacked burst and all that, he had this 16-game stretch where he played 16 of 17 games. He averaged more than 38 minutes a game. And he averaged about 26 points, I think, 11 assists, 59% true shooting. Like, he was very much back. And then literally a day after, I think, or within two days of the more, like the reports coming out, the more he believed he could get James Harden back, Harden hits the shelf with his hamstring tightness. He plays two games over the next 30 days. And uh, first two games with the Sixers, Hammy's looking all right. He's... I, it's two games, obviously, so you know averages are obviously out of whack, but still, two games averaging 28 points, 14 assists, nine rebounds, 2.5 steals on 58-58-95 shooting and wins over the Knicks and Timberwolves in the Sunday afternoon victory over the Knicks. James Harden had 29 points, 16 assists, 10 rebounds, five steals. I believe he only had three turnovers. It is the first time in 41 years. 
okay, since Magic Johnson did it in a Lakers win in 1981, that a player has had at least 29 points, 16 assists, 10 rebounds, 5 steals. Magic Johnson, when he did it, though, turned the ball over 8 times, which, you know, isn't that surprising when you consider, like, just the sheer ball dominance you would need to have to put up a game like that. James Harden did it and turned the ball over three times. The guy, once again, looks like the just absolute basketball genius, basketball wizard that um, took the league by storm for basically the last decade. And um, I'm glad I didn't jump off the bandwagon because he's he's very much still here. The beard lives and the Sixers look damn good. So, I mean, we can start talking actual ball now. What have your first impressions been, I guess, of, of James, of Joel with James, of the Sixers in general? What's, what's going through your mind? Yeah, so first off, that's incredible. I didn't even know that. I mean, I, I'm not really surprised. It's it, it there really isn't a comparison that I can make that's like a perfect comparison, but I've seen a few people throw this around on Twitter. It's like the Sixers went from having zero good passers. Like zero like legitimately the best passer on the team was like Andre Drummond or Furkan Korkmaz. Yeah. I mean, Joel has taken steps. Doc Rivers might have been the best passer on the team. <laughs> Series that we we joked last year after we lost the Hawks series, and I was like, "You think we win the series if Doc just runs point guard instead of Ben? Like it's possible." Hey, I mean, Doc, Doc probably so can still to... throw a, a just half-ass, a half decent entry pass, you know? Like... Right, exactly. And like you know, obviously j- that has been one of the things that has really hurt the Sixers over the years is they haven't had someone. You know, obviously Ben's the best player on the team, but Ben can't be the one making entry passes because easily his defender can sag off, double team Joel in the post block that entry pass from even getting in there whereas of course if you have James Harden you cannot leave him alone at the perimeter that solves that issue immediately so kind of going back to the past thing like Joel has taken strides as a passer and playmaker but he doesn't process the game at the level that James Harden does like in two in two games now James Harden has gone from someone compared it to uh like when the Bucks went from like 10 years of like Ryan Fitzpatrick and, uh, you know, uh, Jameis Winston and like to Tom Brady, like it feels that revolutionary because he like immediately becomes like arguably the, the, I don't think inarguably the best passer and playmaker the Sixers have ever had. And that has just completely like revolutionized the offense for the Sixers. Like you have someone who can not only make the, the reads in the pick and roll with Joel, you have someone who can make those entry passes. You have like, he's, he's getting more out of the young guys as well. Like Matisse Thibel, I've said for a while, he's probably, he might be the worst offensive player in the NBA. Like he doesn't really, like he doesn't have any, he's amazing on defense, unbelievable defender. And like, could be a generational defender if he can ever figure out how to stay on the court uh, offensively. But the problem has always been with him. He can't shoot. And since the Sixers lack creators, he's never been able to even have any sort of role in the half court. And it kind of screws up the spacing. Now this year he's gotten better with cutting. And one of the things I talked about when we got James Harden was not only will the cutting element, I was hoping that he could kind of, work as a off the ball work as a guy who catches lobs and and you know is just more active off the ball because he's never going to be respected as a shooter but maybe he could have some offensive utility with a high leverage creator like uh James Harden and we're already seeing the effects of that like he had 11 points and I'm like has he ever had 11 points in a game like it literally might have tied his career high that's how much he has changed this offense for Maxi and Thibel and then Joel like when when the trade first happened, everyone was like, 
how is this going to work? Joel's a, a post-heavy big. Uh, Harden doesn't shoot off the catch. You know, uh, he likes rim-running bigs. He likes guys who are going to catch lobs and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. I think maybe two of the greatest offensive uh, regular season players of all time will be able to figure it out. Like, I think that they'll just be able, like, Joel's in the middle of an MVP season. Harden's a former MVP. He was all NBA last year. He was in the MVP conversation. Like, I never worried about the offense, especially during the regular season. But, like, it's proving to be more unstoppable. And once again, two game sample against the Wolves and the Knicks. So I'm not going to get too ahead of myself, but this is what it felt like to me was going to be what happened. And now it's like, we have proof of concept that it actually can work. And we have now at least two games. And then this next stretch will really tell us a lot about, you know, how the team is because they're playing some really good teams over the next week or two. Yeah. I think one of the things people or maybe the thing people underestimated when it came to James Harden and pairing him with, you know, a ball dominant post heavy big like Joel Embiid is that, okay, James Harden is, yes, one of the greatest um, scorers and one of the greatest offensive producers in NBA history, but playmaking is a big part of that. He's flat out one of the best playmakers in NBA history. And maybe that gets lost in the fact that people just see him putting points on the bar board and parading to the free throw line. And I mean, it shouldn't get lost. The guy has average double digit assist before and you know Mike D'Antoni basically made him just a high usage point guard but I do feel like that got lost in in people talking about the trade and wondering like how it's going to work it's like yo James Harden for as ball dominant he is and and as you know score first as you might want to call him like he's a superstar playmaker too and you are already seeing that you saw that like immediately in that first game against the Wolves, you saw it against the Knicks, obviously, when he put up 16 assists uh, to three turnovers, and you're seeing it in real time, how it affects, positively affects the guys around him. Um, I put up a piece today, kind of looking at like seven takeaways from Harden's first two games with the, with Philly, and one of the things I mentioned, I know a lot of people were talking about it, well, you and I were both talking about it on the timeline, I think Friday night during the, the his debut, is even something as simple as like Tobias Harris, okay, catching and shooting. This is something like for people that don't watch a ton of Sixers ball, Tobias Harris refusing to shoot it on the catch, even when he's wide goddamn open, has been a painful, painful, consistent thing that Sixers fans and Doc Rivers yep. have tried to get him to do, okay? And he just won't do it. Um, he will catch the ball, have a wide open shot, and like take two dribbles in to take either a long two or like sometimes to like drive into traffic or just to dribble his way into a tougher shot and a more contested look. It's like legitimately infuriating, especially when at his size, he could get his shot off against most guys. Like, yes, it's a good skill to have to be able to put it on the floor and pull up and create for yourself at that size. But guess what? If you're catching it wide open at that size, also good because even if someone's closing out on you, you're still going to be able to get your shot off because you're whatever, you're 6'8 and like can shoot pretty well. Tobias Harris in 30, I think it's uh, it was like 35 minutes per game in the games he played before James Harden got there this year. Averaged 2.8 catch and shoot attempts per game. In the two games with James Harden, still not a huge number, but still in the two games with James Harden in 32 minutes per game, he's averaging 5.5. So about double the catch and shoot attempts in less time, okay? So you're already seeing the effects of Harden's passing. And there was a couple times in that first game against the uh, Wolves where like, one of them was, I think it was kind of like a transition opportunity. It was Harden grabbed the defensive rebound, took two steps, whipped a bullet to Tobias above the break. And you almost like could see him processing it in real time where like he caught it and like 
I don't know how to explain it, but it looked like he was surprised that the ball had just been delivered. Like it was like in his shooting pocket. Even he though said the- that after the game, actually, oh, he said he no. was like, I've, he said he was like, I've never been that open before. Yeah. Like, like the the shots that Harden was creating for him legitimately just startled him. Like yeah, he, he didn't know like I can be this open in my shooting pocket, yeah. and ready to go, and that's going to be an adjustment for him because 100%. one of the things, like the one of the things we've talked about with Tobias is like it's funny because every time I talk about him on the podcast, it feels like we're talking about like the ninth man on the team right. we're like because it's weird like Tobias I argued all the the first half of last season Tobias Harris should have made the all-star team over Ben Simmons he had a great year last year and yeah yes he and in the first half of last season he was like 50 40 90 averaging over 20 a game playing the best defense of his career you know it, Tobias is never going to be like a great passer but like for him, he was doing a good job. He was doing everything that you needed him to do. And Ben Simmons essentially phoned in the first half of last season until the month before the All-Star game when he becomes LeBron James every year, which is what he loves to do. But the, one of the things I talked about with Tobias was like, and this is something that James Harden literally said in the press conference, is exactly what you're saying. He's like, I told Tobias, if he shoots 10 times, I want him to know, even if you miss all 10 of those shots, we need you to take those shots. You're open. That's a good result of a possession. And we will live with whatever the result is. And we don't want you to get in your own head because like I, I, I joked and I said, we need you to be Tobias Harrison Barnes. We don't need you to be, we don't need you to be Walmart mellow. Like that's <laughs> nice. not what we that's need. Great. Like, yeah. like we, we, we need you to be the catch and shoot guy. We need you. And even Harrison Barnes, that's taken him a while in his career to right. kind of get into that role. But like you said, like five or six catch and shoots a game, you know, you can attack closeouts when you, when you think it is necessary, but stop with the ball stopping, stop with resetting possessions by doing exactly what you talked about and dribbling into contested mid rangers and all that stuff. And you're already starting to see that effect. And I think the shots aren't even falling right now. I think he's only made like two or two, maybe three of those shots. But once yeah. the, sh- the shots start to fall, which they should, he's like a high 30s, low 40s guy on catch and shoot throughout his career. Like it should e- make this offense even better than it already is. Absolutely. If you just kind of watch the way he reacts to some of these hardened passes, as you mentioned, if you listen to his uh, post-game comments, which it's, it's funny he said that because Joel Embiid basically said the same thing. You've got two guys now on this team played with Harden twice and are both saying they've never been this wide open. I've never been getting passes like this. Now I understand that it's also a low bar given that they played for the Sixers for a while. And as we both mentioned, this team has not had like a half decent offensive initiator in a long time, but in the half court anyway, but still, um, even Jimmy Butler was not that good that season. Right. Like and that, I, I think people forget that. Like yes. people were saying like, uh, like people on Twitter when it happened, by the way, when, when the Harden trade happened, a lot of the reaction was driving me insane. You guys were great about it, but just generally speaking about Harden, I thought a lot of the diagnosis of, of everything that was going to happen in Philly was wrong. And we're already seeing that, but like the Jimmy Butler thing was like, Jimmy was great for us in the playoffs and in and, and games in that Raptor series, he was awesome. But also people forget that like Jimmy Butler refused to shoot threes for a month. Jimmy Butler yeah. was like upset here too. And it was actually since he has become an all-star, I had Jackson, my buddy Jackson Frank from yeah. Twitter. Great, on the great uh, basketball mind. Yeah. J- Jackson's awesome. And he, bre- he breaks down the game, follow his stuff on Twitter too. But like he was talking about it and he was like, I feel like people forget that that was the worst season of Jimmy Butler's career since he became an all-star. Like he didn't make the all-star team that year. And it wasn't like a big snub. 
Like he just was not yeah. the same guy in Philly. Some of that might have been role. Some of that might have been the team not really optimizing his skill set. But the reality was, like, even with Jimmy Butler, like, outside of a few games in the playoffs, we we have not had something even remotely close to this ever. Yeah, and again, like, even even when he, you know, was at his best that year in Philly, and look, I, I, I love Jimmy Butler. I'm a big fan of his game, like, the, the demeanor, the attitude, like, everything about him, even though some of it might be a little fake tough guy, I'm still, still a big fan of Jimmy Butler. But even at his best in that, year with Philly even with me saying that like before James Harden got there him his presence represented like the the first and only time in the Embiid era until Harden got there that I thought they were true contenders Jimmy Butler is still nowhere close to the offensive initiator James Harden is so like it does not surprise me at all that these guys are saying like they've never been this wide open they've never gotten passes like this and yeah like we're saying it's it's affected Tobias Harris another guy that's affected positively is Tyrese Maxey and I'm I'm happy for Maxi because you know another thing people were bringing up was like, well, what happens to a guy like Maxi? You know, he's just kind of sophomore stud who's been one of the most improved players in the league this season, and his development as like an on-ball guy and creator has been a big part of why the Sixers have been where they are despite not having Ben Simmons. I'm like, how would bringing in one of the most ball-dominant players ever affect him? And Tyrese Maxi is proving that he's got the awareness and the smarts to also get his off the ball. And he is playing it beautifully. Like, if you watch these first two games with Harden in the lineup, Tyrese Maxey is just perfectly balancing. In terms of his, like, off-ball stuff, he's perfectly balancing the kind of thing Tobias Harris still doesn't, like, fully master, which is when to catch and shoot and when to catch and attack. And there were a couple examples throughout the first two games where it's like Tyrese Maxey was, you know, chilling in the corner or whatever, and it looked like he was just waiting for the catch and shoot. And there would be... Um, opposing defenders that were the defense was warped not even by like a drive and kick game it was literally the defense was warped because the ball was in James Harden's hands and they were all just staring at yeah everyone's scared shitless when the ball's in James Harden's hand and James Harden looks like James Harden which he once again does and Tyrese Maxey just used that to his advantage because like the second that his defender maybe flinched towards James Harden the second his defender even turned his head toward James Harden James Harden was firing that pass to Tyrese Maxey and Maxey was ready to attack and was attacking these kind of like jumbled uh, out of whack defenses that were so preoccupied with James Harden. And he got a bunch of easy points, just driving past a defender who was not paying attention to him. And then, like I said, at other times he was catching and shooting. Like I think Maxi, considering how much control of the offense, or at least like um, how much less of the ball he has now, I think has handled it just as well as a young guard can when, they are paired with a guy as ball dominant as James Harden. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing about Maxie is, is one of the things that we've been talking about all season with him is that like Maxie is really underrated as a play finisher. Like his creation skills, like he's not like a pick and roll maestro yet. He's an unbelievable scorer because he just has incredible touch on the floater game. He, he uh, is deadly from corner threes. Like he's actually gotten much better at pull up threes. Like he's definitely a very good half court scorer. And this leans into what he can do well. Like, he's not that passer playmaker, at least yet. I think that he will get there. I think that he'll improve with the on-ball stuff as time goes on. Especially because I think right now, Doc has kind of shown that he's going to stagger Harden and Maxi so that one of them is on the court at all times, so that Maxi can still get some of those reps. But real quick, because you mentioned that, it was a good point too. Of the 67 minutes and 29 seconds Joel Embiid has played in the last two games, not a single second has been played without 
one of Maxi or Harden or both on the court. And again, I'm talking about a guy who went so much of his career, unfortunately, without a capable offensive initiator between Harden's arrival, Maxi's development, and Doc Rivers' sudden uh, acknowledgement of staggering stars. Joel Embiid might not have to play another second this season without one after going his entire career without one. Yeah, exactly. And and it, it is amazing because I think that, like, the thing with Doc is, like, I, I Doc can drive me crazy sometimes, especially when it comes to, like, playing veterans over uh, guys who are younger. Like, it was obvious from the moment that Tyrese Maxey stepped in the NBA that he belonged. Like, do I think that he was going to be, like, a majorly impactful player on, like, a finals team as rookie season? No, but you could see the flashes that, like, this guy's got something. And it drove us nuts last year that he wasn't really, like, playing him a ton. And one of the things that has also driven us nuts is the fact that Doc refuses to do the staggering patterns that kind of make the team basically have one really good player on the court at all times, especially offensively when it comes to initiating. In his defense, you can't really stagger Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons struggles playing with the traditional center, which is all the Sixers had last year. One of the things that people always talked about is like, we just need a backup stretch five, like someone who protects the rim and shoots threes. And I'm like, Miles Turner. Yeah, like there's like, not many like, of those guys out there. And yeah. the ones that are aren't backups. Like yeah, exactly. Time. They make $20 million a year, and you're already paying max contracts to Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid. Like it, having a guy like James Harden just makes everything easier from a staggering perspective. You can have like Harden by himself, Embiid by himself is going to give you an above average offense, even with bad pieces around them. So you can kind of figure out the rest from there. And especially with Joel, because Joel can kind of piece together a good defense by himself. And especially because now you can, he can save his energy, but like having Maxi and Embiid and figuring out that chemistry is going to be incredibly important. One thing I would like to see Doc improve with the stagger patterns. And like, I think that my guess is, is what happened here is that him and Maury and Harden and Embiid probably had to sit down and was like, look, these all bench lineups, they ain't fucking working in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Like they're just not like, yeah. like in the regular season, you can get away with it when you're playing against the magic on a Tuesday night, but yeah. like you're playing against the heat or the Celtics or the nets or the bucks. Like that shit is not working in the playoffs. Yeah. J- and James Harden watched some uh, film of the Sixers, saw some of those all bench lineups and his hammy started tightening up. <laughs> And he started tightening up watching films. Like, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm uh, I- I'm, I'm, not going to sit on the sideline with Joel Embiid and watch Furkan Korkmaz cook. Like, yeah. that is not my, that is not the reason yeah. I was traded to Philadelphia. But, but kind of just going back to that, like, one thing I think he could get better with when it comes to staggering the lineups and, like, as good of a as good of a player as Tobias Harris is, this is something that he's going to have to get used to as well. Because... I think that one of the issues is that when Thibel is is on the court, I would like to see him paired with James Harden because, once again, it gives him that offensive utility. Might be able to cover up some of the weak spots that James Harden has on defense as well. I think that Tobias, figuring out whether Tobias works best with Maxi and Embiid, which, I mean, he should in theory. They're like a plus 14 on the court together this season per 100 possessions. Pretty much everyone is when Joel Embiid plays. <laughs> yeah. But... It, it can work in stretches. And then maybe splitting up Thibel and Harden is is kind of the answer to that. But I do wonder if if he can figure out how those pairings work in like such a small sample of games. Because one of the things that Doc has proven 
over time is that he is not a super flexible coach. Right. And not being flexible is something that bites bites you in the ass in the playoffs. It yep. just does. Like if you're if you are stubborn and you're not making adjustments and you're refusing to change what's not working, teams will take advantage of that and they will just, you know, they'll bounce you from the playoffs like the Hawks did last year. And I think that one of the things is going to be figuring out which lineup combinations work best and how they can survive the non-Joel minutes and the non-Harden minutes, even though one of them is playing uh, at all times, figuring out like who is the backup center. Like that, that is going to be incredibly important over the next few weeks well, because like it, it, I, it, I, I follow you on Twitter, so I know who you don't want it to be. And that's the guy that apparently it might be. And that's DeAndre Jordan. And I'm with you. I don't listen. One of the things I included in this takeaway post at the end was I put like, okay, basically it was like six takeaways and they were all positive. And then the last one was like, okay, lingering questions. Like we got to have some negative. And one of the things was the backup center spot. And I wrote in this piece that like, you know, Willie Cauley Stein's on a 10 day. At this point in the season, like their best bet might just be like Willie Cauley Stein earns uh, another 10 day, earns a roster spot the rest of the season and earns literally like five to 10 minutes a game. And I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Like, I think Carly Stein is capable of doing that. I'm not sure DeAndre Jordan is. Like, I'd rather have Willie Carly Stein than DeAndre Jordan in 2022. Yep. Especially in the play. Like, Joel Embiid is, if things go well and they play into June, like, even if they go four rounds, he, you're going to get, like, or you're going to hope to get, like, 38 to 40 minutes out of Embiid in the playoffs. It gets the playoffs. So you're literally looking at eight to 10 minutes max that you need from this guy. Maybe 13 if Embiid's in foul trouble or something. Like, you don't need a lot. I think Carly Stein's capable of it. And if not, you can find someone who is that isn't DeAndre Jordan. Absolutely. And that's been my whole thing is, like, we know DeAndre Jordan is not good anymore. Like, we we've, yeah. we have a large sample size of three or four seasons of him just being a not a good NBA player. And, like, had a great career. I know he has the relationship with Doc. What's funny to me is that, like, all I remember last year is clips of James Harden screaming at yes. DeAndre Jordan when he was messing up. And it's like, why are you trying to reunite those two? Like, Paul Millsap, another guy who had a great career, but, like, he's running in quicksand now. Yeah, he's like, toast, dude is man. Totally cooked. He's 37. Yeah, and, like, and he's cooked, and it's like, he's cooked enough, unfortunately. But then it's like, and you're going to ask kind of this, like, aging, cooked, guy to also have to be a small like an undersized center like it's just it's not really fair to him either exactly and like maybe there's one matchup where you can exploit the advantage of him maybe be shooting like 35 percent from three and like sure. removing the the big from the paint even though i don't even think that would happen but like I think that maybe that is like a situational thing where like if someone gets in foul trouble or whatever, they're not guys that you want to depend on come playoff time. And that's been my whole thing with DeAndre Jordan is like Willie Cauley-Stein as, you know, as much as he sh has struggled in his career in general to kind of like maintain himself as a rotational player. Like once again, you need him just to survive those minutes. And like, I would like to see any of the backup centers other than uh, Millsap get an opportunity because like my whole thing is like, I, I did this whole thing when we signed Willie Cauley Stein, I did a YouTube video and I talked about how like, I like the young guys, uh, Paul Reed and Charles Bassey long-term. Like I think they will be rotational NBA bigs, but right now the reality is like, I went back to the last five years and there have been six players in their first or second year that have been rotational players on finals teams. It's very rare. It doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. And I think that 
in this situation because it is so unique in that you have Joel Embiid on the court for 40 minutes a game if you're going to win the finals or get to the finals that you might be able to survive some minutes with literally just average rotational center. Yeah. Like I my big thing is like Charles Bassey is has had games this year where I'm like this guy clearly is going to be a backup center at, at a minimum in the NBA for years. Like he's still young, he's still like 21 or 22, but like he catches lobs, he sets screens really well. He does like every time I watch him I'm just like he does backup center thing. Yep. Like really good shot blocker. He's literally has the second highest block percentage in the NBA this season at 10%. He just had eight blocks in a G league game the other day. And I don't try to get too ahead of myself (laughs) with G league stuff, but like you, this is all you need from a guy for a five, 10 minute stretch. And with James Harden, once again, just like I talked about with Matisse Thibel, giving offensive utility, he's going to, he's going to set screens. He's going to run to the rim and he's going to catch lobs really well. And that's all you need from a backup center with, with James Harden. So whether it's Willie Cauley Stein or Charles Bassey, I just don't see a world in which Millsap or DeAndre Jordan can fill that role. I don't want to say that the lack of a backup center is going to be this team's undoing again. I, I don't think it's that dire. Um, I'm having flashbacks to the Raptors. Series right. Already. Exactly. Right. But I do think that there is some promise at least in, and it has nothing to do with the backup center, but just because the overall talent level on this team has been upgraded so starkly by acquiring James Harden and the fact that, you know, I almost feel like if, if anyone's watched Happy Gilmore, like, uh oh, Happy's learned how to putt thing. <laughs> I kind of feel like that was like, uh oh, Doc Rivers learned how to stagger. Everybody watch out. <laughs> so between like that and Harden's arrival, even though the backup center spot will remain a weak spot. I just think the Sixers will have so much more talent on the court now, assuming they're staggered correctly. And I, again, there are signs of that. B didn't play a second without at least one of Harden or Maxi in these first two games. Uh, out of the 96 minutes between these two games, at least one of Harden or Embiid were on for 89 of 96 minutes. Like, I think the stagger will be fine, and I think that will protect them in these Embiidless minutes. And to that point, again, I know it seems kind of silly because I get it. It's a two-game sample size, and like it's it was against two teams that aren't very good. The Timberwolves are decent, but two teams that aren't very good, only two games, and I'm comparing it to these like much larger samples. But I did want to point out, since Embiid joined the 76ers in his regular season career, when him off the court, the Sixers are minus 2.2 per 100 possessions. Actually, not as bad as I thought, but still. That's way better than I, I thought. We've pretty much been breaking even with him off the court in the regular season. Right. For, Postseason, for yeah. minus 6.7 per 100 possessions. Again, that doesn't sound atrocious, but like that's bad. Like if you're losing seven points per 100 possessions, that's almost in line with like the worst teams in the league over a whole season. Like they're doing that in the playoffs. This season, before Harden arrived, the Embiid list minutes, minus 3.7 per 100 possessions. Two games with James Harden so far in the Embiid list minutes, plus 8 per 100 possessions. So again, all the caveats apply about small sample sizes and quality of opponent and all that. But the point is, Doc Rivers is staggering well through two games. The talent level has been upgraded. And very, very, very early indications are that they can win these Joel Embiid. But at the very, you just need them to survive them, right? In the playoffs. Right. And, and... As much as I agree and we're, we're on the same page about there still is a weak spot there, the backup center spot, I don't think it's the same concern it's been in the last few years just because it's like, well, okay, we don't have a good big on the floor right now with Joel Embiid on the bench, but we also have James friggin' Harden on the court. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. figure it out and the team will be all right. 
That's a great point. Is that like the the Sixers have only had one talent that can lift up the other talent around them for years now. And that has been Joel Embiid. James Harden gives them another option for that. It makes lineup uh, just construction in general a lot easier. I think it gives you a, l- a little bit more flexibility when it comes to building lineups. And like, realistically, I look at our bench and I go, to me, what is going to swing the Sixers, whether they are like legit contenders or they're not, is is George Niang hitting his threes? Because when George Niang is hitting his threes, he's a very valuable, good NBA player. When he's not, which, by the way, he's willing to at least attempt them. Yes, and he's at like 39% this year, right? He's He's good, man. Corkman's shot has gone off a cliff, but uh, Niang has picked it up. Yep. Yeah, and Niang, I've been really impressed. I'm not sure how well he'll fare in the playoffs, but I don't think we need a lot out of him in those backup form uh, minutes. Like, I think that Niang has arguably been like our fourth or fifth best player this season. Like he's been really impressive in like when he has to fill in for starting. Like he played good defense on Giannis yeah. like, two weeks ago. And like, you know, he's going to get exposed defensively sometimes, especially if he's playing with Harden and he's getting switched on to like smaller guards will take advantage of him in space and it's not going to go well for him. Offensively, he brings a lot to the table from a catch and shoot perspective and from just being a good connective passer. Like he knows just to keep the ball moving and, and he's kind of like tall Danny Green but like you know, Danny's obviously better defensively. Right. But the one thing that I will say is like, we just need Niang. We need Danny to be able to stay in front of literally anyone defensively, because that has been a problem with him since he got injured last season. And he has just not been really able to like, he's looking much older than he has in the past. Like Danny's had a great career once again, but like, you know, we need him to, you know, he's never going to turn down shooting open threes, which is great when you're playing with Joel and James, but like defensively, we need, we need him to be able to not get roasted by the D'Angelo Russells. It's not even like the Trey Youngs. Like when he was dying on the court versus Trey Young last year, I'm like, it's Trey Young. Like, right. what are you gonna like? He should have never been on him in the first place. Right. So I think what's gonna swing it is like, are those two playable in the playoffs? And I think they they should be. And I think that the Tobias Harris, Matisse Thibel, like as the fourth and fifth starters, and then figuring out the backup center thing. So like really just like solidifying the rotation over the next two to three weeks will define whether like because I'm not worried about James Harden. I'm not worried about Joel Embiid. I'm not even worried about Tyrese Maxey. I am worried specifically about just like the four through eight guys that you can figure out in the playoffs. And if you can figure out those spots, then I think the Sixers are golden. You know, that fifth starter spot, and I don't even mean in terms of like who specifically starts, but that fifth starter minutes spot, like who's getting the, the fifth most minutes, who's finishing games as the fifth starter or the fifth finisher, I guess, between Thibel, Green, and even Korkmaz and Yang. Because again, I think between... um you know, Thibel's offensive issues and then Green showing his age a little more. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that, like, one of Korkmaz or Niang is finishing some games in the play. Like, it, I think it will be very matchup and game dependent. If, yeah. if, if Thibel and Danny are just who they are right now, again, in the playoffs, and one of Korkmaz or Niang is having a great game, I know maybe with Niang, the, the fit is a little stranger because he's more of a four than a three, but still, like, I they can get away with it with, yeah. with the rest and of Tobias the And Tobias has actually had defensively recently has had some pretty good moments defending in space. Like he took the Darius Garland assignment a few weeks ago and shut him down at the end of a game. He, I mean, Tobias is one thing defensively that he is good at is post defense. And like he, he can stonewall a guy in the post. We can put him on big. Sometimes we can put him on guards because when he's really locked in and he doesn't have as much of an offensive load, he can play that three a little bit more where he gets into trouble is off ball is like he, he can be a, real disaster off the ball so 
the defense worries me more than the offense, which is the weirdest thing I've ever said talking about the Sixers, because it's like we've been a defensive minded team for like since Joel Embiid got here, kind of just out of necessity. And now, like defensively, it will be interesting to see because like I worry about a team that has like rangy athletic wings like the Celtics in the playoffs, which is like I think the Sixers are better than the Celtics. I think that the Sixers have clearly would have arguably two if it depends on how you feel about Jason Tatum but arguably the best two players in that series of James Harden is James Harden easily I think I, I Tatum's yeah. a phenomenal player but I, he's not James Harden to me like yeah no I agree I think that the Sixers would arguably have the two best players but but we know that the Celtics have been a thorn in their side and because they have those athletic rangy wings like they can burn them when the Sixers run drop and they can burn them when Sixers are unathletic and slow in comparison to them just from like a pure just like shot creation standpoint they can really take advantage of that so uh i i worry about teams like the nets and the celtics and and stuff like that i actually kind of like their matchup more weirdly enough i think the bucks and the heat are probably the two other teams that are in the same tier as the sixers right now uh in terms of like because we know what we're gonna get from them when they're on the court like if the nets are healthy then i think the nets also but there's just so many question marks there but like from a matchup perspective, I actually think that we would fare better against the Bucks and the Heat than we would against like the Celtics and the Nets, even though I think that they're better teams and like legitimate contenders. A Sixers Nets playoff series at this point would just be an absolute fever dream for everybody. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much Sixers or and or Nets fans want it, but oh, I want it badly. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, so I, 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 I'm, I need it because yeah. I need to see what happens when Ben Simmons comes back to Philly. Yeah, that, and also like I want to see a playoff series where Joel Embiid plays a team that like just doesn't have a big that can guard. Well, I mean, most teams don't have bigs that can guard them, but some teams that at least have big guys that can body him up. Horford and bit. Bam. To be honest, like those, exactly. are, those are two guys exactly, who like, right? can, can hold their right. own against Joel. Who who on Brooklyn is like Blake Griffin's strength wise is probably their best option. But if that's your best option against Joel Embiid in 2022, you're in trouble. And I think the, the Nets, I still think the healthy Nets are like their ceiling is still they can win a championship if KD incredible, yeah. Like, but I, I, who's stopping Joel Embiid or coming close to stopping Joel? And that might just be the problem in that matchup. I feel like I think about this every season and I go into the playoffs and I go, there's no one that can stop Joel. And it just hasn't mattered before because they lose the non-Joel minutes. Like they won the Hawks series. They won the Joel minutes by like, not as much a wide of a margin as the Raptor series, but they won by like 50 points they, right. they will always win the Joel minutes. It's just about figuring out those other minutes. And this might be the first time that they can actually do that. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. Talking about uh, how much easier the job is on Embiid now, um, and, and you mentioned actually Jackson Frank at one point too. Jackson tweeted out, I think a couple nights ago after the, the Knicks game, that before Philly acquired Harden this season, 49.4% of Joel Embiid's uh, made field goals were assisted. So you're still looking at like 50.6% of them were, you know, self-created, which for a big man is pretty crazy. Okay. And it was actually, if you look at his career in Philly, only 45.4% of Embiid's uh, two point field goals have been 
assisted. So you're looking at like 54.6% self-created in his career. Pretty insane. Uh, in two games since James Harden got there, more than 82% of Embiid's made field goals have been assisted. Suddenly having to create less than 18% of his own shots, or at least the shots that go in. So again, just another example of how much easier the job is on Joel Embiid, how much easier the job is on the Sixers um, since James Harden got there. And then obviously just in general, talking about just like how unguardable these guys are individually, let alone together. There are few guys, if any, in the NBA who are even slowing Joel Embiid in one-on-one coverage. But you bring that double. Now you're giving James Harden, a guy that we said is like one of the best playmakers in NBA history, you're giving him a four-on-three advantage? I don't think you want to do that. And, you know, you overload against James Harden. Again, we we talked about guys like Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey being able to take advantage. You obviously can't lose sight of Joel Embiid, who's been the most you know, one of the two or three most dominant players in the league this season. Like it's, it's crazy. And then the other thing too, is like, even if you play things perfectly, then they're just going to parade to the free throw line. Because again, that you just can't stop these guys. And I know much to the chagrin of a lot of people out there, foul drawing is a skill. Okay. And you can complain about the flopping and the embellishment, but it is a skill and it is much more of a representation of how unguardable and crafty these guys are than it is like an indictment of their games. I've been loving it. I personally, I I love, I I love just the coping that is happening all over the timeline, like like, all the time. It's like, I understand it. I under, like I've been, I've had to go up against James Harden playing, uh, not personally. Yeah. Me and James got in the gym, you know, we were going one-on-one. He's just really hard to guard in space. But but my whole thing is like basically like I've as a fan has ha- have had to watch you know James Harden and it's incredibly frustrating to go against him or Jimmy Butler or Joel Embiid like these guys that are just like really good even Demar Derozan like someone who's just really good at getting into their the right spots and drawing fouls like you said as a skill but at the same time like it is especially with Joel Embiid I've always felt as though. He is completely unguardable now that he especially has been able to extend his range a little bit. He's more effective from the mid-range that like one of the reasons why he like he gets hacked and it doesn't get called a lot because that's just kind of the nature of yeah. like being a big in the NBA is like they're not going to call a foul on every play. And like there are opportunities that he gets where like overall, I think it, it kind of balances out to like. He's going to get some ticky-tack fouls, the Chris Paul things, like, you know, like the rip-through stuff that he does and blah, blah, blah. But he's also – that's also going to balance out when he gets, you know, punched in the face by Aaron Baines in in the post like he did in that Celtics series a few years ago. And and that's going to – basically, he's going to end up at the line because, once again, you said, like, he's unguardable. Yeah, and it's like – you know, people are complaining about uh, the pace of the game because of it. And, and you know, all the Sixers games are going to be a hard watch. It's like not aesthetically pleasing. It's like, man, first of all, I, I do think for the most part, the refs have done a good job cracking down on the things they wanted to crack down on this year when it came to like the non, non-natural non basketball moves or whatever they called it that were leading to fouls. You can't get it all out of the game, but I think they've done a good job getting most of it out of there. But when it comes to guys like Harden and Beat, again, it's like, well, what do you want them to, Should they just... Should they blatantly ignore things that are actual fouls because they've called too many already? And like, well, the game might drag on now. It's like, no, man, a foul is still a foul. And it's unlikely you're guarding Joel Embiid in the post without fouling him. 
the staggering number I wanted to get to. So, okay, so um, in terms of free throw attempt rate, uh, the stat that's basically free throws attempted per field goals attempted. Uh, the Sixers came into these two games averaging 25.9 free throws per 100 field goal attempts, which was fourth in the NBA. They were already a, a high free throw because of Joel Embiid. The NBA average is 24.3, and the league-leading Rockets in that category are 28.8. So you're looking like, you know, you're looking at between 20 to 28, 20 to 30 is pretty standard. Best teams usually in the high 20s. Sixers were at 25.9 before Harden got there. In two games uh, with Harden and Embiid together so far, the Sixers number is 50. <laughs> 50 free throw attempts per 100 field goal attempts through two games with these guys together. If that doesn't tell you how unguardable, I know, yes, there will be people listening. They're like, no, that just tells me how much these guys flop or whatever. They're jobbing the refs or whatever. It's like, no, that, if that doesn't tell you how unstoppable the Sixers offense will be simply because these two guys are on the court and no one in the league has any answers about what to do about it. I don't know what does because that is that, an absolutely exactly what I was even saying. in a small sample size that is a staggering number. Yeah, absolutely, and it's funny because I I listened to every podcast after the Harden <laughs> thing came out. I thought you guys did a great job covering Appreciate it. You. I think a lot a lot of people did a good job. I think a lot of people were fair and balanced. There were some podcasts where they're like, "Is this going to work?" And I'm like, from a math standpoint, how can this not work? Right. Like offensively, once again, I still have worry. I'm worried a little bit about the playoff defense. I think that that could be an issue. We'll see. But offensively, there was just no way that this was not going to work. You have two of the best scorers, one of the best playmakers of all time, like you said. And then you have two guys who just live at the free throw line. Like how it's just the math and they make their free throws. Most importantly, yep. like, like this isn't even like, you know, hack or like, uh, you know, even Giannis, who like has become, uh, you know, in clutch moments, especially has had his, uh, you know, he I think he went 17 for 17 in the closing game of the finals. Like he he has gotten better. But like James Harden and Joel Embiid will get to the line and they will make pretty much 80 to 85, if not 90 percent of their free throws. And that is one element where I'm like, it just the math. It's just heavily on their side, whether you hate James Harden or you love James Harden, like you just have to admit that like. It's going to work just just purely based on like the average possession that will 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 happen with the Sixers offense. Yeah, you know one thing I didn't mention as well is that um, I think one of the low key things that James Harden is going to bring to the team, and I know it's obviously not at the level Ben Simmons did it, but he has an ability to get this team out and running and out in transition. And people don't really think of it like that because it's like James Harden, he's this very methodical, ground bound offensive player, but. Between his like playmaking vision, um, you know, his ability to grab a defensive rebound and get a team out, like he, there is an opportunity there to turn defense into offense very quickly. And I think you did see some of that in the first two games, especially between himself and Tyrese Maxey, if Maxey would leak out. And I think that's like a, it, it's not obviously the way a team with James Harden and Joel Embiid is going to beat you, but it is just like another small improvement wrinkle that this offense didn't really have a couple weeks ago. Like th this is an offense that uh, if you looked at, the four years Ben Simmons was in Philly, they finished at least top nine in transition frequency all four years. And this year they were 24th or 25th before Harden got there. Uh, I should have checked the numbers on what their transition frequency was in the last two games, but I, I would 
venture it's to guess. It's got to be much higher. It's going to be higher than Especially like, from the Timberwolves game. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. And a lot of that was literally just like James Harden either getting a defensive rebound or someone dishing it to him right off the defensive rebound. Him taking like one step, maybe two dribbles, head up, finding someone 20, 30 feet ahead and Tobias shooting, catching an above the break three or Maxi finishing a layup in transition. Like, I think there will be a lot more of that than there was in the Sixers offense, you know, before Harden got there. And again, it's not good. They're not going to be able to, you know, get out and run the way they did with Ben Simmons in the lineup, but it's going to be a lot better than it was without either of Simmons or Harden. Yeah, absolutely. Just someone who can make those simple outlet passes is just going to like literally change the transition offense it already has. And that was something I didn't even think of because I had the same thought as you. Like I was like the half court offense is going to be great, but like I don't think of Harden as this guy that's going to get out and running, but I didn't think that like he could once again lift up the pieces around him and make make things workable even though he's not going to be the one out running the break and like now like before this it was pretty much like either Tyrese Maxey or Joel Embiid will run 90 feet and will score or nothing happens in transition and now it's just another element to uh the transition game that could that is just I, I can't believe that I, I I watched the Sixers and I'm like, I didn't know teams were allowed to do this. Like I watched I, for years. I've watched other teams. Like if I, when I watched the Warriors or the, even like the new fun Grizzlies, yeah. like it broke my brain watching these teams being like, why are they, why are they allowed to do all this? I'm like, Oh, yeah. Cause they have players who can dribble, shoot and pass. Yeah. yeah. And now the Sixers have one yeah. and it's like literally changed my life. Yeah. No, listen, man, I uh, I think they became the team to beat in the East. Yeah, I'm not going to go out and say, okay, they're winning the championship. But like, they got a chance to. They didn't before they got Jim Harden. They have a chance to now. If, if I absolutely had to right now, I'd probably pick them to be in the finals. So before I let you go, this is what I want to ask you. Because I know it's different when you're like a fan of the team. And I know even in my life as a Toronto sports fan, obviously I got to watch the Raptors win one um, when I was a kid. I was young, but I got to watch the Blue Jays uh, win a couple as a very, very young kid. One of those years they did beat the Phillies in the World Series. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I don't, yeah. I don't and know. then Drake used the Joe the back, Carter back, cover yeah, up for the for, Meek Mill, which was yeah. uh, objectively hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Good troll there. Um, but what I was going to say is I know that like it's – especially when you just get used to a team disappointing you uh, and, you know, maybe you haven't seen your city like win one in a long time. You know, I know Philly did win the Super Bowl not too long ago. But still, like it, it almost becomes like hard to even – truly imagine or envision like your team your city winning the champion like it it becomes so hard to imagine that even when it looks like oh this team should actually do it you're still like oh, i don't know i don't know if that can like i don't want to say it or i don't i can't actually picture it so you as a long-suffering 76ers fan who has seen all that you have seen and all the struggles and all the postseason heartbreak and all that what is your actual expectation for this team like someone asked you right now try to look at it as like uh you know a down the middle basketball player you're looking at this Sixers team and someone said you have to tell me what is your expectation for this team what is it so I just want to say most fans would be biased towards like yeah we're winning the title like my right. friends who were Bucks fans last year they were like yeah of course we're gonna win the title right like, like they, they, that was like a whatever Sixers fans Philly fans it's the complete opposite it's like I need to see it to believe it kind of thing. Like if I, I still think that like, I still think they're in that contending tier, but I need to once again, see it to believe it before I'm like, this is the finals team. This is when I actually think they're probably set up better next year 
than they are this year in terms of like it will give Daryl Morey another season to build the right team around him. He'll be able to kind of figure out the pieces around Joel Embiid and James Harden and blah, 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 blah. But I will say, like you said, they do have a chance. I think that this probably ends in a conference finals appearance. Um, I think that figuring these things, like the other teams that we're going to go up against have the advantage of playing together all season. They have the advantage of having that chemistry and also defensively in the playoffs, the Bucks have proven they can be elite. The Heat have proven they can be elite. Like I still have my questions about this team, but I, I think where we were three weeks, three weeks ago, a month ago to now is like, I think they do have a legitimate shot at the finals, but like, I still think that next year they'll probably be better off. And maybe that's just the pessimist in me being like, I need to see it to believe it. But like, I'm still a little bit like hesitant to say like, they're going to the finals. They're winning the finals. Like I, I think a conference finals appearance would be like the next step in the right direction. And and I think that uh, the East has just been loaded this year, man. Like yeah. they could realistically lose in the first or second round, which is insane like if they get the wrong matchup like right. if they get a healthy nets team in the first round and yeah. it goes seven and whatever and blah 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 like if they get the wrong matchup in the first or second round like it could end in like but it's weird to say but like even if we lost in the second round to like a really good team it would feel similar to that Raptors year for me where it's right. like that team was still good enough to win yeah it was just not it was they got the wrong matchup right. and 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 things didn't work out whereas last year it's like that team was fraudulent as hell and like, yeah no, like I, they weren't anywhere close so I get overall you. i'll just say conference finals appearance. yeah i mean cuz you could think of a scenario where it's like i i think the sixers end up with a top 2 seed i think between them and miami milwaukee i think is obviously one of the like the three with them but I do think the way Milwaukee's played in the regular season and and the way I think the Sixers are going to surge now I think Milwaukee ends up three but what I was going to say is you could end up with a situation where it's like Brooklyn by the looks of it is probably going to end up having to go through the play like even because by the time they like KD should be back this week but still by the time Simmons starts playing and even gets acclimated you know Kyrie I think by the end of the season will be playing in most games but right now he still can't play in at least half the games like it's going to be tough for them to make up. Tonight he can't play in Toronto. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. If, if, if it was Raptors-Nets in a playoff series, you know, which it won't be now because they would be a play-in, if anything. But still, he wouldn't be able to play in the play-in. But even if it was a series, the way the rules are right now, he wouldn't be able to play in a single game in that series. Right. But but what I was going to say is, like, if you uh, look at the way things are going, the Nets are most likely going to have to go through the play-in. So there is, like, a situation where the Sixers could, say, get, like, a two-seed, have to play the Nets as, like, the seven-seed in the first round. And then have to play the Bucks in like the two, three in the second round. And, and yeah, to your point, it's like they could lose one of those series, losing the first or second round. And it doesn't mean that they weren't actually a championship contender. It just means that, yeah, the, the East after two and a half decades of just being a laughing stock is now absolutely loaded. It's deeper than it's been in like a quarter century. It's it's gonna be fun, but uh also Probably the stress of it might take a, a bit off your life expectancy. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. And- I'm gonna. I'm. I'm for sure. Like, I mean, between trying to balance uh, like work and being a Sixers fan and 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 having the podcast and doing all that right now, like, I think that the Simmons situation into the excitement of the Harden situation, and then going into the playoffs and having to live with this Eastern Conference is is gonna drive me insane. Well, we hope it's a fun trip to insanity for you. <laughs> It's, I thrive in it. I literally, I don't think people would listen to the podcast if I was a normal person. So it's great. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, we we probably wouldn't have crossed paths um, on Twitter exactly. if if, uh, if you weren't who you were on Twitter. So yeah, yeah. exactly. And we Kudos. were talking about I I did a two just a really quick thing here before we finish. I did a 2013 re- redraft uh, episode on the podcast recently, and, and uh, my buddy Chucking Darts came on. He's got a great uh, NBA podcast, uh, <laughs> Chuck, and he. <laughs> He comes on and he he tells me, you know, what if the Sixers had drafted Giannis and what if, you know, then they're bad enough the next year still to get Joel. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe they're a dynasty and maybe this is a butterfly effect moment where we're just not talking because I just have a normal life. And I'm like, the Sixers are great and whatever. I started the podcast. Literally, the first episode of the podcast was called James Harden's Not a Sixer and I am not okay. (laughs) And now James Harden is a Sixer and I'm feeling fine. But like the podcast doesn't start unless my heart is broken by the Sixers time and time again. So, yes. And you know what? And I said this to like a lot of Raptors fans after they won the title and even following year when um, they had the heartbreak against Boston in the second round, which I still maintain that if that if that is a normal year and the Raptors have home court advantage in that series, they beat Boston and they can get back to the finals that year, even without Kawhi. They were that good. Anyway, I digress. The point is, I was, I was saying even that year to Raptors, some Raptors fans were like, okay, well, they won the title last year and it's like, we can live with this. It's like, what I was saying is, look, you don't sugarcoat when you're heartbroken by a sports thing. Don't make the whole, like, if you're truly a a hardcore fan, don't do the whole like, oh, it's okay because there's like, no, just accept that you're heartbroken. It's terrible. It sucks. Yes, you don't seem rational to be that upset over a grown man playing a game, but guess what? We are, so just admit it to yourself. Um, And the reason is, is because like, I can say from experience that the feeling of, euphoria when your team finally breaks through and wins it again especially in the nba which is the most championship exclusive league is worth it if you accept the heartbreak and like truly feel all the pain and heartbreak of the losses before it so i get what you're saying i support it very well put and like i said we hope you have fun at least on that trip to insanity and i hope uh i hope at the very least the sixers you know, they play well enough that no matter what happens, you them and you can walk away from the season, even if it doesn't end with a championship, thinking like, okay, they they really couldn't have done much else. Cause that's that's the worst feeling. As long as it's not like last year where you come out of it being like like that that team could have been better, should have been better. That I think if they will come out of it and you think they they did what they could have done, nothing else could have been done, it is what it is, then I think uh you can at least live with it as heartbreaking as hundred percent. Yeah, that was the whole thing with the Simmons thing, with like him holding out like Joel holding, or I'm sorry, Maury holding out for to find a guy to get a, a guy for Joel to play with and, and give him give us a shot and like that was my whole thing like just salvage the season get a guy they did it I I'll be fine with it but like it's easy to say that now. All right, Trill man, uh, let us know quickly before you go where people can find your work. So you can find me on Twitter uh, at Trill Bro Dude, all one word. Um, you can follow my podcast, you know, ball, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we've been doing a lot of fun stuff. I just started a YouTube channel as well. Uh, you know, ball. Uh, so go subscribe to that. All right, man. Appreciate you taking the time out of this just celebratory time in your life to, oh, it's great to, to talk uh, Sixers ball with us, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, bud. All right. Thanks again to Trill for joining us. Want to get to the fan shout out before I sign off. So this week's fan shout out goes out to Max at Max Borgi or Borgi on Twitter. B-O-R-G-Y. It's fitting that he lines up to get the shout out on the week we had Trill on and talk Sixers because uh, according to Max's Twitter profile he is a Sixers fan and an Arsenal fan from Philadelphia Pennsylvania so this kind of worked out well uh Max 
reached out, I want to say like early February, before the trade deadline even went down. And it was actually, I think I was clowning Tobias Harris on uh, on Twitter. Anyway, Max reached out to say he loves the pod and that he's been listening since the summer when his cousin Jake said he was one of Wolfon's friends and put Max on the pod. And I like that he also ended the note by saying, hate Toby working from the post though. <laughs> so Max, hope you enjoyed today's Sixer-centric episode hope you're enjoying the james harden experience so far i'm sure you are and uh appreciate you supporting the show just like we appreciate all of our pound the rock listeners so usual call out if you're a fan of pound the rock hit me up on social media at joseph casharo on twitter joseph.casharo at the score.com via email joe underscore 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 cash on instagram let me know what you like about the show, maybe what you don't like about the show, how long you've been listening, where you're listening from, and I will definitely get you a shout out on a future episode. We do have a few more banked um, for the next few without Wolfon, but still, you know, we Wolfon will be back and we'll be doing two shows a week soon enough. And and once we do, we're going to need even more shout outs. So please keep uh, keep reaching out and and we will keep shouting you out. For now, I'm signing off for Trill Bro Dude. For an absent Joe Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the rock.